Hey, this is Mark, and you're listening to Stuff Matters. In this episode, we learn about the chemistry behind seasons. Why do seasons occur? What causes a solstice and an equinox? Where can we see seasonal changes? Is there anything else that's affected by seasons? And how does any of this relate to chemistry? All that and more as we dive in and explore to learn more about seasons. But first, let's hear a recent headline from the NEWS, the news. This headline reads, Molecular mixing creates super-stable glass. Researchers have succeeded in creating a new type of super-stable, durable glass with potential applications ranging from medicines, advanced digital screens, and solar cell technology. The study shows how mixing multiple molecules, up to eight at a time, can result in materials that perform as well as the best currently known glass formers. Professor Christian Mueller at the Department of Chemistry and Chemical Engineering at Commerce University. He led the research team and has claimed to have opened the potential to new and better glassy materials by mixing many different molecules. Organic molecules are known for helping form glass, but it seems little research has been done on adding the organic materials with the glass itself. The researchers experimented with a mixture of up to eight different perline molecules, which individually have a high fragility. But mixing the many molecules together resulted in a substantial decrease in fragility, and a very strong glass being formed. This breakthrough has opened up possibilities such as important applications for more stable organic glasses being displayed technologies such as OLED screens and renewable energy technologies such as organic solar cells. Another application that may benefit from more stable glasses are pharmaceuticals. Amorphous drugs dissolve very quickly, which aids rapid uptake of the active ingredient upon ingestion. Hence, many pharmaceuticals make use of glass-forming drug formations. For pharmaceuticals, it is vital that the glassy material does not crystallize over time. The more stable the glassy drug, the longer the shelf life of the medicine. Glass, also known as an amorphous solid, is a material that does not have a long-ranged ordered structure. It does not form a crystal. Crystalline materials, on the other hand, are those with a highly ordered and repeating pattern. The fact that a glass does not contain crystals is what makes it useful. A glass is formed when a liquid is cooled down without undergoing crystallization, a process called vitrification. The materials that we commonly call glass in everyday life are mostly silicone dioxide based, but glass can be formed from many different materials. The silicone dioxide based materials I refer to are raw materials like sand, ash, and limestone. They form an amorphous solid by being exposed to an ambient temperature. 
The molecules are heated just enough to not completely lose shape, but are thinned and molded together. Once cooled, the molded shape is stable. However, many glass molecules are not formed shaped to withstand an impact. To withstand impacts, the glass must be allowed to mold into a thicker shape. This is where we get bulletproof glass. Researchers are always interested in finding new ways to encourage different materials to form with amorphous states, which can potentially lead to the development of new types of glass with improved properties and new applications. The use of mixtures of two or three molecules to encourage glass formation is a well-established concept. However, the impact of having a mixture of multitude of molecules on the ability to form glass has received little attention. With the news out of the way, let's kick it on over to the TOPIC, the topic. As of this episode, it is roughly the middle of autumn. Halloween is in two weeks, and the leaves have certainly changed color. There is a chiller wind, along with daylight lasting a lot shorter in the northern hemisphere. In the southern hemisphere, it should look quite the opposite, with the season being spring. The basics of seasons can be taught in some of the earliest of our education as a child. It's almost common knowledge to know that seasons occur because of the Earth's rotation around the sun, and how the top of our planet tilts during rotation. But there's so much more going on behind the scenes. As the Earth travels around the sun, we call that an orbit. As the Earth orbits around the sun, the amount of sunlight each location gets every day changes slightly. This orbit is what causes seasons. However, many do not know that Earth's orbit is not a perfect circle. It's lopsided, like a slanted oval, also called an elliptical. For this explanation, I'll need you to visualize. Picture the sun in the middle, where it is summer in the northern hemisphere. The Earth is in the bottom left corner, where it's closest to the sun. Then, fall occurs as the Earth moves behind the sun. Winter happens when the Earth moves to the top right corner, when it is farthest away from the sun. And then spring comes back around when the Earth comes in front of the sun. This visual is a 2D perspective, and if you were to show it on a graph, the sun being the origin. Now, try to visualize this in a 3D setting, and of course, simply substitute the opposite season when talking about the southern hemisphere. The orbit is all due to magnetism and the Earth's axis. Another piece of common knowledge is how the Earth spins due to its north and south poles. This happens in the top and bottom, or southern and northern hemisphere, because the pole itself is never standing up straight. So yes, the Earth is always tilted. The terms solstices and equinoxes are from the field of astronomy. A solstice marks the point at which the poles are tilted at their maximum toward or away from the sun. This is the indicator for either the start of summer or the summer solstice. Or the start of winter, also known as the winter solstice. The fall and spring equinoxes are, you guessed it, used to indicate the start of their respective seasons in between summer and winter. Lots of folklore and media have used these terms in their stories. Okay, that's enough about terms and basic material. Now it's time for the real meat and potatoes. The science! To understand the Earth's orbit, gravitational pull, and why it has poles, you must first understand magnetism. 
Magnetism is the force exerted by magnets when they attract or repel each other. It is caused by the motion of electrical charges. Every substance is made up of atoms. We know that. We also know the structure of an atom is made up of three subatomic particles of electrons, protons, and neutrons. Negatively charged electrons orbit and swirl around in the electron cloud that is attracted to the positively charged protons within the nucleus. Let's focus on the electrons here and how the motion of the electrons creates an electric current in everything. Every little electron acts as a microscopic magnet and how it spins. In chemistry, we tend to write an upward spin and a downward spin, with an up and down spin making up a pair of electrons that cancel each other out. In most substances, there is an equal number of electrons spinning in an opposite direction. This is what cancels out their magnetism, and why organic material, like us humans, are not pulled to every magnet we come across. Everything has a magnetic field, because everything has electrons acting as a microscopic magnet. But pure metals, like iron, nickel, and cobalt, are known to be magnetic because of their uneven distribution of electrons. This type of magnetism is called ferromagnetism. There are multiple kinds of magnetism, but for the sake of time, let's just focus on furrow. For something to qualify as ferromagnetic, it must still have a strong magnetic charge when dropped below the Curry temperature. The Curry temperature, or Curry point, is used to indicate when a material undergoes a sharp change in their magnetic strength. You got that? Ferromagnetic materials, such as the pure metals, are commonly found where materials generate strong poles from the uneven electrons. Back to common knowledge, opposites attract. When you rub a piece of iron along a magnet, the north-seeking poles of the atom in the iron line up the same direction. The force generated by the aligned atoms creates what is called a magnetic field. All magnets have a north and south pole that mimic the magnetic fields to attract the opposite poles of the material. Now, after learning about magnets, let's apply this to the Earth. The reason why the Earth has poles is because it generates its own magnetic field. But where does this field come from? It comes from the Earth's core. Scientists have figured out that the Earth's magnetism is powered by the solidification of the planet's liquid iron core. The cooling and crystallization of the core stirs up surrounding liquid iron creating a powerful electric current with a magnetic field stretching far out into space. Over the last 200 years, though, the magnetic field has shown to lose 9% of its strength due to a large region of reduced magnetic intensity developed between Africa and South America, referred to as the South Atlantic Anomaly. So, iron in the Earth's core creates a magnetic field. How is it attracted to the sun? The sun itself is a giant ball of plasma. In a previous topic about hydrogen abundance, I went over how it's a giant melting pot of nuclear fusion. Plasma is the state of matter where electrons and ions have been separated, creating a super hot mix of charged particles. It's those charged particles that naturally generate a magnetic field, which in turn influences how particles move. All of that creates the sun's ginormous magnetic field, attracting bodies of mass like the Earth. Magnetism directly creates a gravitational pull, but doesn't the Earth get pulled into the sun? Well, it's trying to. The reason it hasn't is because it's been constantly spinning. Remember back to the visual of Earth's orbit. The Earth's rotation acts as a sidestep for every inch it gets closer to the sun. 
every inch closer is followed by a step to the right. Here's a small activity you can do to better understand. First, find a space you can rotate at a safe distance in. Next, put something, anything, in the center that will represent the sun. I'll refer to mine as a ball. You yourself will act as the earth. Now stand at a distance from the ball. Take a small step forward and then a small step to the right. Now keep doing that, with the gimmick here being that you must keep your front facing the ball. Once you feel you've gotten the hang of it, congratulations, you now understand Earth's orbit. This same concept is applied to other bodies of rotating mass around the sun, as well as moons orbiting planets. The reason why Earth's orbit is an elliptical because something long ago hit the Earth in its infancy. This giant rock knocked into the Earth and gave it its constant spin that keeps us alive. The quote-unquote accident happened just in time, with just the right force for the Earth to be at its current distance from the Sun. So in short, the Earth is constantly spinning, being pulled towards the Sun because of both bodies having a large gravitational pull with magnetism. But thanks to a rock causing the Earth to spin, the Earth will never fall into the Sun as it sidesteps for every shift forward. The orbit created from constant inertia is what gives us the seasons depending on where certain halves of the Earth are in orbit. And all this magnetism generating a gravitational pull is due to a large amount of iron in the Earth's crust and uneven electrons. Wow, okay, back to talking about seasons. A common indicator for seasonal changes is looking at the leaves around us. Autumn is known for its yellows, oranges, and reds. The chemistry behind this is because of the leaf's nutrition changing. All leaves have four organic compounds that help generate food for the tree with photosynthesis. These four compounds are chlorophyll, xanthophyll, carotene, and anthocyanin. Think about these as the four levels of prominent nutrition. In the same order, they reflect the colors of green, yellow, orange, and red, respectively. As the season changes, it gets colder. Less nutrition is available due to less moisture in the air. And then, we see the leaves use up the last of their organic compounds. The life of a leaf is in the changing autumn, being a green chlorophyll, and then to a yellow xanthophyll. We then see a change to an orange carotene, and lastly turning into a red anthocyanin. Depending on the tree, leaves can skip some compounds, or straight to a crunchy browned leaf very quickly. The four compounds are indeed what we see in our organic food. Chlorophyll and xanthophyll are seen in veggies and corn while carotene and anthocyanin are prominent in carrots and tomatoes. With winter around the corner, the leaves lose their strength and fall with the chilling temperature frosting the moisture. Plants stay alive by using the stored sugar they made throughout the year. But there's evergreen trees that keep their green leaves. How does that work? Well, they just have really strong leaves. Evergreen trees have leaves being needle-shaped with a waxy coating that allows for conserved water to be stored within them. In turn, this allows the leaves to keep up photosynthesis even when no moisture is available. 
Enough about trees and forests, let's talk about water and oceans. In certain parts of the world, mainly farther from the equator, snow forms in the winter, thanks to the cold climate. If the ground temperature is below 0 degrees Celsius, or 32 degrees Fahrenheit, snow will form. Any chemist should know that this is water's freezing point. Small water particles in the clouds will crystallize together, making them heavy enough to fall out of the cloud, and light enough to gently float down. Even oceans have seasonal occurrences. In the spring, we see new life formed with the perfect temperature being just right. In the summer, oceans glow with an abundance of plankton, as their growth depends on greater light availability and warmth. In case you forgot, pressure is directly linked to temperature. In autumn, we see wind blowing over the surface, because gaseous states like air rush to areas of lower pressure. The pressure higher in the atmosphere is higher than what the pressure is on ground level, and this attracts the air to come rushing in. Gaseous states always look for the least amount of pressure with the most volume, for more fun to move around. In the winter, we see animals all over the globe migrate to warmer temperature, because the cold atmosphere stopped the process of certain chemicals relied on for nutrition. Now keep in mind, all of this is happening because of Earth's orbit around the sun, and uneven electrons. There's certainly a lot more we can look at, but I think that's more than enough for now. That was a lot of information. Let's take a breather. These past two weeks, I've been trying to keep steady, being in the middle of a semester. I've had a couple of midterms, some lab reports, and a lot to do. It's been a little tough finding time to read. Lately, I've considered going vegan, or at least try it for a week, or a month. I heard somewhere that a common argument to go vegan is because the energy from the meat that we eat is only a fraction of the energy that the animal itself ate. So why waste time and money with meat when you can get it straight from the natural source grown in the ground? I've also tried a few vegan dishes recently, and have been thinking of other meals that I can easily fit into my diet. Of course, another reason to go vegan would be to not feel guilty eating animals. I'll admit, every now and then I do feel a bit guilty enjoying a chicken when it could have had a long life worth living through its old age. But then there's a completely other argument on not going vegan. Like, the animals are not as smart as us, so who cares? I also do really enjoy meat. But there have been some advancements in mimicking the taste of meat in vegan dishes. Going vegan might save me some money, I think. I could even grow my own garden one day and spend way less on groceries. And finally, an undeniable argument to go vegan is that it is extremely healthy. Just know, for now, I'm leaning more towards the let's go vegan side. In other news, my finances are going surprisingly okay. Not super fantastic, yet, but I'm no longer stressing over if I'm going to make it through next semester or not. I've never experienced that kind of stress before, but I'm glad I did, so that way now remembering what it felt like... I will be motivated to not feel that stress again. What else? 
I've been stuck in my room a lot since the previous episode. When this episode comes out that you're listening to, I will be in the forest trying to wind down with some ecotherapy. Let's reflect on what we learned today by taking a look at the RECAP. It's recap time. We learned a lot today. In the news, we learned about glass. There seems to be a breakthrough in now encouraging glass to be molded with other materials to make it more resilient. This has potential for better containers and improve upon glass work on screens. We also talked a bit about glass being an amorphous solid with its process of vitrification. To learn about seasons, we had to first look at how Earth orbits. The Earth is pulled by the Sun because both bodies have magnetism and gravitational pull. The Earth's magnetism comes from the large amount of liquid iron in the core and uneven electrons creating the Earth's poles science calls a magnetic field. We are alive because long ago some rock decided to bump into the Earth and set it with enough motion to sidestep every time it's pulled closer to the Sun. Not to mention a crucial detail, the Earth is tilted and depending on its position in the orbital path, it causes seasons with how close a half of the Earth is to the Sun. We see leaves change color in autumn because the chilled temperatures leave less moisture for plants. Gusts of wind are felt because this chilled temperature also means a lower pressure at ground level compared to the atmosphere above. Some plants survive with stored sugars. Others have adapted to stay strong. And animals tend to migrate to warmer climates or stick it through the winter. And remember that all of this is because of uneven electrons. Be sure to follow so that way you won't miss a beat when the new episode drops. For more highlights and updates outside of the show, check out underscore Stuff Matters on Twitter. Got a great idea for a topic? Maybe you want to send me some fan mail or a critique on the show. Feel free to email me through stuffmatterspodcast at gmail.com. I've been Mark, and thank you for listening to Stuff Matters. <laughs>